We want to welcome everyone. Now I'm on. <laughs> this morning as we uh, gather to give our praise and worship. And just a reminder, we do have the, uh, the lunch and congregational meeting to follow, so we hope you can stick around for, for that. Uh, we've got uh, sandwiches. We've got a couple of gluten-frees for our, our gluten-free people uh, and some chips and brownies and stuff. So uh, I, I don't want to go home with any of it. Right. Uh, so, so we do hope you can stick around for that after service. Uh, we have our regular groups going on this week. It's also going to be uh, Friday is the first, so it's the uh, popcorn and, and movie night if, uh, if you'd like to join us for that. Uh, and uh, just a, a reminder that we do have on March 29th, which is Good Friday, uh, we'll have Kirill uh, coming, who is a Messianic Jew. So he's a Jew that believes Jesus is the Messiah. He'll be coming to walk us through the Passover meal and how the Passover meal, uh, how the elements of that point us toward Christ and fulfillment in what Jesus did for us. So that is an event that's, that's open. It'll be in the evening. Uh, people from other churches are certainly welcome. Feel free to invite. Uh, we are planning on maybe some light refreshments afterwards, so uh, let us know if you're having a crowd come so we can uh, prepare accordingly. Uh, Oh, you're welcome. Was that, was that helpful? The, was it enough? Okay. So uh, feel free to take the little blurb from the email and, and spread the word, and it will be nice to, to pack the house for them that night. Uh, so uh, so that will be on, on March 29th, and uh, when we get a little closer, we'll try to have a um, – well, I think we already have RSVP on the communication card, but we can uh, try to get more for other guests. And I think, uh, and you wanted to make an uh, announcement as well? I'll have to repeat you so they can hear online. Well, Roger's got a mic for you. Okay. Yeah, um, at the food pantry, um, we got a huge blessing. Um, Newsbomb, the trucking company, if any of you guys are familiar with that, um, they did a um, food drive uh, in their company, uh, kind of a competition, a contest between the different departments. And they collected almost 7,000 pounds of food that they brought to us last week. That's a lot of food. So um, we're really, uh, really thankful for that. And um, what we're going to do um, next week, uh, we're going to do the food drive again. But really, instead of food this time, since we just got blessed with all of this um, huge bounty, we're going to do just um, stuff that we run out of all the time. Three things, cereal and um, dish detergent and washing detergent, um, clothes washing detergent. We're going to collect those three things. And we'll put a table up here like we did last time. We'll have the, that um, going for next all through month. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, so we'll, we'll do a, uh, and we're going to kind of hold that through the month of March, right, man? So through the month of March, we'll just kind of collect. They've got food, uh, so we'll just focus on cereal, dish detergent, and laundry detergent. And we'll do a collection and then, Send it over to uh, ministry and more. So with that, let's uh, pray, and we'll uh, go into a time of worship. 
Oh, glorious Father, we just give you praise for this beautiful morning and uh, just the opportunity that we have to gather together as a body of Christ to, to not only fellowship, but also to encourage one another, to pray for one another, but ultimately to, to give you praise and to give you honor and to just uh, seek first uh, you and your kingdom and your righteousness. And so, Lord, as we gather here in this place, we, we pray that you would help us to, to leave behind any uh, distractions that might be upon our hearts and our minds, that we would just be centered upon you and that we would be in a place that we could uh, listen to what you may speak to our hearts, uh, that we might hear clearly, uh, and that we might just have a sense of your presence uh, and your peace. So, Lord, as we gather here today, we just invite you to, to fill this place. We invite you to speak to our hearts, and we just uh, ask you to help us to, to give you the praise and the honor and the glory that you do as we come in the name of Jesus, who's taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to start this morning in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 10. Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing his praises from the ends of the earth. Let the whole world glorify the Lord. Let it sing his praise. We have come this morning to do just that, to lift him up in praise because he is the Almighty. Would you please stand as you are able and we'll start with praise to the Lord the Almighty.
2 Samuel, I'm jumping all over the place today, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 22, verses, uh, starting with verse 1, David sang this song to the Lord on the day the Lord rescued him from all his enemies and from Saul. He sang, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me in my place of safety. He is my refuge, my savior, the one who saves me from violence. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. We love that we can call on his name, and he is there for us. Sorry.
Jesus cried out to you, Father, we too draw near and lift up your name, Jesus, above all other names. Thank you, Jesus, you alone.
This morning's reading will be from the book of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. I'm reading from the ESV. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? May the Lord's blessing be on the reading and Pastor Dan's message. In our uh, chronological journey through the life of Jesus, we uh, looked last week at his interaction with Martha and Mary. And in that interaction, we encountered uh, a contrast of priorities as well as uh, priorities in conflict or competition. And so we saw this contrast between Martha, who was busy doing for Jesus, and Mary, who took time to sit with Jesus to listen and learn from him in the posture of a disciple. And we see a, a contrast of priorities that were lived out in real time, right? Putting one activity uh, sitting at his feet before another activity uh, with much serving. But we also, in, in last week's text, you might have noticed there was kind of this implied uh, conflict in Martha who exhibited the priority of doing for Jesus, but in my estimation, desired to sit with him. And not being able to sit at his feet, she becomes a little bit bitter towards Mary, who is in practice where, in principle, Martha would rather be. And so in Martha, we also have a picture of conflicted with competing priorities. 
Right, so on the one hand, she wants to, Jesus to feel welcomed and honored and treated like a king. And on the other hand, she yearned out of devotion to simply be with him and listen and learn from him just like Mary was doing. And, you know, at this point, I, I would gather that for many of us, what we've learned is that uh, life is much learning how to balance competing priorities. You know, because often in life, it's not about choosing the good over the bad. It's about choosing the better over the good or the best over the better, isn't it? And so, so oftentimes, we find ourselves faced with competing priorities. And there's a, there is a time for serving, but likewise, there's a time for learning. Both of these activities have value, and both of them are good. And the challenge is, is putting them in the right order and with the right balance, and then keeping them in the right balance and the right order over time, right? Isn't that the challenge of life? You know, having the right order of priorities and the right balance of priorities uh, and holding that over time. And so uh, when I attended seminary, I was, uh, I was busy uh, literally from waking to going to sleep. I was uh, burning the candle at both ends, as they say. I was I was serving two churches full-time. I was a full-time graduate student. I had a lengthy commute to school. Uh, I had a, a wife at home who had, had to get a dog for company. Uh, and and uh, it was at that time in my life that I did not have a regular exercise routine, uh, and really the only time in my life that I didn't have a regular exercise routine. And, and one day I remember I was, you know, at seminary, and I was thinking, I thought, how many pastors do I know that are in good health? And the answer was, uh, not many. In fact, I didn't even need one hand to count them up, right? Because, you know, some of us, we need our fingers and our toes to count, right? No problem, because I didn't even need one hand to count up how many pastors I knew that were not in good health. And one of the things that I realized is, is you know, I have this priority of seeking after the Lord, of, of learning, of growing, of, uh, of being able to serve in his, and walk in His path. But I also realized that if I'm going to endure spiritually and if I'm going to have this priority spiritually, then I also needed to care for myself physically so that I didn't burn out physically and spiritually, right? So, so the spiritual was definitely the higher priority, but I also needed this other priority. And I expect that most of us would agree, at least in principle, either willingly or begrudgingly, that generally exercise is a good thing, right? In principle, we could agree to that. But there was another season in my life when I was convicted that exercise had become an idol because it was out of order and out of balance, right? Because often when we think about competing priorities, right, it's about keeping them in the right order and in the right balance. And I share this because as believers, we should have contrasting priorities with the world, right? Our values should reflect God's values over the world's values. But at the same time, that doesn't exempt us from having competing, uh, competing priorities and struggling to keep first things first, and that's the challenge, isn't it? In principle, God is my priority. Does that priority always get lived out in practice? Don't I wish. In principle, Amanda is the second most important relationship in my life, right? Second only to God. Have I always treated her as such? Don't you know it? Or wait a minute. Or is it you know I don't? Because learning the right priorities is easier than living them out in practice, isn't it? And throughout life, we have these competing priorities. And the challenge that we have is how do we keep them in the right order and with the right balance? Because like Martha, we get distracted and we get drawn away 
from greater priorities by lesser priorities. As we think about the life of discipleship, it's learning in principle God's priorities that we might live them out in practice. And that's what we call connecting faith to life, right? It's all of our small groups are called connecting faith to life because this is the goal. How do we put to practice what we know in principle? And one of the priorities of a disciple is the priority of prayer. So in verse 1, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, the first thing we see is that Jesus taught the importance of prayer not simply by telling us to pray, right? He did it by practicing it himself. Prayer was a priority for Jesus. Now, just kind of let that sink in, right? Prayer was a priority for Jesus. Jesus had lots of crowds to minister to. There was always sick that were coming to him. There was always something to do, someplace to be. Uh, but in the midst of it all, Jesus always had time to pray. It was a priority for him. Is it a priority for me? You know, how many of us uh, would say, you know, I, I just, I, I long to hear a word from the Lord. Is there any one of us that wouldn't long to hear a word from the Lord? Is there any one of us who wouldn't long to just have a, a moment of intimate fellowship with him? Well, then the, the follow-up question to that is, is, do we take the time for that to happen? Do we sit down at his feet? Do we come to him in prayer? Do we listen? Because, you know, that's part of prayer, too. It's not just about talking to God. It's also about listening to God. Now, there, there are, um, you know, there are many things that I, I know how to do today. I can add. I can subtract. I can balance a checkbook. I can read. I can write. Now, how well I can write, that might be debatable, but I can do it, right? I know how to drive. I can facilitate a small group, theoretically. I can even preach a message. Now, how good that message might be, that might be debatable. I can tie my shoes. Even more uh, fascinating is I know how to do a runner's lace, okay? Though, admittedly, there might be times that uh, it may be questioned that I can dress myself, right? Because I may not know how this tie goes with that sweater or whatever the case might be. Now, you might be thinking, who cares? What do all these things have in common from very simple to somewhat more complex, right? You might be thinking, what, what point are you trying to make, Dan? Well, here's the point. There was a time that I couldn't do any of those things. But not knowing how to do them was no, not an excuse not to learn. And how many of us have heard or said, I don't know how to pray as an excuse not to pray? You know, not knowing how to pray is no excuse not to pray. It should be the motivation to learn. And that's what we see with the disciples. They don't hide behind, well, we don't know how to pray, Jesus. We're going to let you do all the praying. You do such a fabulous job. Pastor, you can pray. You do so well, right? Jesus, we'll, we'll leave that in your... They didn't use the excuse not knowing how as an excuse not to pray, right? But it's motivation to learn. Why? Because it's a priority for Jesus that stands to reason it should be a priority for them as well. You know, it's interesting. The disciples have seen Jesus amaze the crowds with his teaching, befuddle and bewilder the religious leaders in debate. 
and power. You want to talk about demonstrations of power from driving out demons to healing diseases to feeding the multitudes, making paralytics to walk, raising the dead, calming the storms. You know, consider all the things that they could have asked Jesus to teach them. Jesus, why don't you teach us how to preach with power before you send us out, right? Teach us how to preach with power. You know, I, I can get behind that one. That would be really kind of cool. How about Jesus teach us how to dazzle people in debate? I can get behind that too because I, I kind of could get into a little debate here and there. How about command disease? Wouldn't that come in helpful at times? Multiply food. You know, that could save on the grocery bill, couldn't it? Not to mention bringing in a crowd. Hey, come in here. The refreshment table never runs empty. How about steps to facilitate a small group or points to consider when counseling someone in grief? How to fill in the blank, right? They have a repository of unlimited wisdom right before them. And what is it that they ask Jesus to teach them? Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. The disciples have noticed that for Jesus, prayer preceded activity. And it wasn't simply about what Jesus was doing for God. It was about what Jesus was doing with God. Think about all the times you go through the Gospels and Jesus says, I only speak what the Father gives me to say. Or I only go where the Father sends me to go, right? Uh, he, there was this, this intimacy and this fellowship. And the disciples have noticed that before all this activity of Jesus, they're always seeing Jesus in prayer with the Father. And so they're not asking for more power and ministry, but for more intimacy through prayer. And perhaps in observing Jesus, they've learned that greater intimacy through prayer is what leads to more wisdom and power in ministry. Now, I'm going to be honest. Uh, when I get busy, one of the easiest places I find to save time is in less prayer, not more. Prayer honestly doesn't come uh, naturally to me. Uh, and it uh, feels like I'm accomplishing more when I'm engaged in study or when I'm immersed in writing that sermon or when I'm facilitating that Bible study or answering someone's questions or offering biblical counsel or making that phone call or making that pastoral visit, right? These things feel a lot more, they feel, notice the word feel, they feel more productive as though you're getting more done. But when I think about Jesus, Jesus had much to do and Jesus had little time to do it in, in, in his time on earth. But he was never too busy to pray. And in taking time to pray, he also accomplished everything that he came to do. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, I, I thought about this little illustration. How many of us, have, have, you ever, have you ever gotten in a hurry? Right? You knew you were rushed for time and, and you're feeling rushed. And so you get in a hurry and in the hustle and the bustle, you overlook this and you forgot that and you had to go back for. And so in the long run, you know, in trying to save time, you actually lost time. You ever had that experience? Well, could it be when we start with prayer that the time that we invest in prayer with God at the start will help us to be more productive in the end? That everything would go smoother along the way? That maybe the way to save time in the end is to give a little time at the start. So we see with the disciples, we see this priority of prayer. But it's not just the priority of prayer. We also see the right priorities in prayer. And Edwards comments, and I quote, uh, Rabbinic disciples were known to request renowned rabbis to teach them prayers that would characterize and differentiate them from other rabbinic schools. 
So teach us something that sets us apart as belonging to you, to your school, right? In other words, it's not just that we pray, it's also how we pray. So it's not just the priority of prayer, but priorities in prayer. Now, before you get all concerned about knowing the right words and being versed in the right formulas and whether or not you could pray in King James English, right? Because we all know Jesus only spoke in King James, right? I said that sarcastically. If, in, ca in case anybody misses sarcasm, that's sarcasm. Or if you're all concerned about how you compared, uh, how you sound compared to, you know, fill in the blank with whoever you might uh, think, well, they have the nicest prayers. It's more about the attitude of the heart and the relationship to the Father than stringing together the right words in the right way. And so as we look at the disciples' request, right, it shows, uh, one, it shows us that it's not the Lord's Prayer, you know. Uh, often we say, well, let's join together in the Lord's Prayer. Well, it's not really the Lord's Prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. He's teaching the disciples how to pray as disciples. And so in verse 2, he says to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, this is a chronological walk through the life of Christ. It's also a harmonization of the Gospels. And some of you might be saying, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't we just say this prayer like... You know, 45 minutes ago, it hasn't been quite that long, right? What happened to our Father in heaven? What happened to your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Didn't we just pray this prayer except for with a few extra words? Well, yes. Jesus taught similar content recorded in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, which is the version that we had at the beginning of service. In Matthew's account, Jesus is teaching in greater length on prayer, and it's in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And Luke sets this teaching on the journey uh, to Jerusalem, and he provides an abbreviated form. Right? So we have similar content on two different occasions. It's not really a parallel account as at a different time with similar content. And, and Matthew, he likewise says, pray like this. Luke says, when you pray, say. And the point is, is in this prayer, we have both a model prayer but also a model for prayer as we think about our priorities in prayer that can be followed. Now, although the father-son relationship was applied to God and his people in the Old Testament, it was unusual for Jews to refer to God as father. It was too personal. It was too familiar. Uh, it was something that they would take issue with Jesus for as well for doing. Uh, but as we think about how Jesus is teaching them to pray, he starts with this very intimate, uh, very intimate notion, right? We're coming to our father. We're coming to our Father. And, and prayer is not about coming to God with our wish list, but it is drawing near to our Father in relationship. Now, when I, uh, when I attended seminary, uh, my exercise routines were not the only thing that took a hit. Okay, so Amanda and I, uh, at that point when I started seminary, we'd been married for three years. So we had it all figured out. And our relationship, now, our relationship never changed, okay, in the sense of uh, before I went to seminary, we were married. While I went to seminary, we were married. After seminary, I think we're still married, right? Okay, so, so on, on one level, right, our relationship never changed. But during that time of seminary, uh, we did kind of grow apart. Uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, right? Uh, we felt more distance from one another. We struggled to communicate when we communicated. Uh, she kind of got to doing her thing. I kind of got to doing my thing. And we really felt like we were on, on different paths and different journeys just because I was literally busy from 
moment I woke up to when I went to bed. And, and I was so busy with life that we were not really sharing much of life. Now, if you can be married and drifting apart because you're not taking time to be together, to communicate, and to fellowship, how can you expect to have a strong relationship with God and enjoy intimacy with the Father if you're not taking time to nurture that relationship? If you get so busy with life that you don't have time to do life with Him. And so Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray, right? The expectation is, is that you will take this time to, to come to the Father. But he also says, when you pray, now, now to the matter of how. So he has this, this intimacy of address, right? Father, this is the new element that Jesus is adding and introducing to his disciples. Because through his atoning work on the cross, Jesus is going to bring us into reconciliation with the Father. He's going to make it possible for us to be spiritual children through new birth, John 1, 11 through 12. And there's going to be an intimacy that's available that wasn't available before. Right? So this is, this is something that's going to be new that Jesus is adding and teaching his disciples to pray as we're coming to the Father. However, intimacy doesn't erase the reality that he is still God and you are not, right? So, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Now, hallowed, uh, I'm guessing that's not a word that you're using every day. It means to be sanctified, to be reverenced, to be set apart, to honor as holy. And so, as we think about priorities in prayer, our first priority in prayer is God's reputation and that God receive the honor and the praise that he deserves, which flows neatly into, God, this is what I want you to do for me. Now, wait a minute. That's not how the prayer goes, is it? Notice where the focus is first and foremost. It's not about, God, this is what I want you to do for me. It's about, God, what is your will to be done? What is, I want your kingdom to come. I want your reign to be displayed. Now, it may be a startling surprise, but our priority in prayer is not getting what we want from God to do our will. It's seeking what God wants, what his will may be. And Wearsby puts it this way, and I quote, It has been well said that the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Prayer is not telling God what we want and then uh, selfishly enjoying it. Prayer is asking God to use us to accomplish what he wants so that his name is glorified, his kingdom extended and strengthened, and his will is done. So when we think about the kingdom, right, the, the kingdom was inaugurated in Jesus' ministry, but we still await its fullness. And so in the meantime, right, we're praying for God's reign to come more fully. We've seen glimpses of it. We've got taste of it. Uh, right? When Jesus cast out demons, he says, the, the finger of God is upon you, right? The, the kingdom is near, right? We're, we're seeing aspects of the kingdom. We continue to pray for it to come in its fullness, for God's will to be done. So it's his kingdom, his reign over our will, right? What it is that we're seeking. Now, with that said, the king we likewise address as father, so our chief concern may be him and his rule, but that's not our only concern as we acknowledge our dependence on him and trust in his provision as our father who cares for us. So after we've addressed, hey, we're first interested in your will and your kingdom and your purposes, 
Then we come to verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. So priorities in prayer begin with his kingdom and his rule. And then they address our material and our spiritual needs, which, you know, if I'm completely honest, uh, I uh, often get in reverse, right? Remember, it's about right priorities and right balance. And oftentimes, we reverse the two, right? We come to God with our wish list, with our desires, with our heart, with this is what I'd like to see. And we may never even get to what is your will, right? Or, or I've known people who, uh, it's a... Uh, some people who will pray only for everyone and everything else, but they won't bother God with their needs. And I've known other people who, who they only bother God with their needs and they never get to anything else, right? It's not about the kingdom without concern for you, nor is it you without concern for the kingdom. It's about the right priorities, and the right order, and with the right balance. Now, when he says, give us each day our daily bread, uh, this is going to sound a little contradictory, but hopefully it'll make sense. It's more complicated than it appears in the English, but it's as simple as it appears in the English. Daily is a rare word with uncertain meaning, and according to BDAG, it can mean necessary for existence, for the current day, as in today. It can mean for the following day, which would make sense if it's the evening prayers, right? Bread for the next day. It can also mean uh, becoming in the sense of bread for the future or the eschatological bread. You never knew there was so much packed in one term, did you? Uh, and so in, in that case, it, it could be more than a, just a prayer for material blessings. It can also be a prayer that, that I might live today in light of your future promises, that I might live today in light of an eternal perspective, that I might experience today aspects of the future feast in my life now for the feast that's yet to come, right? Now, the reason why I say it's a little more complicated is because it does have various nuances that the word can mean, but it's as simple as it seems because however you understand it, the, the same theme is present, divine provision. Divine provision. Now, obviously, most of the translators have taken it in the sense of divine provision for the daily bread. Now, we're used to refrigerators. We have food that says we, we have leftovers that we work on, right? Uh, we say we have nothing to eat when we have a pantry full of food. It's just because there's nothing that you want in there right now or because you desire a pizza, right? That wasn't the case for this day and age. They're literally trusting God for each day, for provision, for what they need. You got paid daily, not biweekly or monthly or, or weekly, whatever, you know, however some might be set up. Right? So it's this picture of divine provision for our needs. Now keep in mind that this is the disciples' prayer. It's not the sinner's prayer. Right? This is not about entering into relationship with him. This is about those who are already in a relationship to him as we come to verse 4. And forgive us our sins as we, forgive, uh, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, I say that this is the disciples' prayer because forgiveness is not a condition for salvation, but it is a condition for maintaining fellowship. We're not saved by grace plus how well we forgive others. It's not about, uh, it's not, about not allowing a lack of forgiveness toward others. It is about, let me just back up, right? Maybe I should have started with a prayer, right? It is about uh, how a lack of forgiveness toward others can spoil our fellowship with God. 
And we see a picture in 1 John 1, 9, right, that, that as we come into relationship with God, we need regular cleansing because we still fall into sin, right? We need to confess. We need to be cleansed. We need to be pure, purified uh, according to 1 John 1, 9, right? So this is about keeping that fellowship with God, uh, maintaining that fellowship. And as Edwards puts it, uh, believers are not simply objects of forgiveness, they are also conduits of forgiveness. We're to extend to others what God and grace has freely extended to them, right? So it's not about entering into salvation. It's about maintaining fellowship once we're there. And, and part of that is through understanding that we're forgiven and that motivating our forgiveness towards others. Now, at this point, some of you might be getting concerned because we've only covered the first four verses and there's nine more to go. But I gave priority to the first four verses, and I gave a heavier balance to the first four verses. So we're going to spend a lot less time on the last nine, all right? There's always a competition and priorities, right? You have to give heavier focus one place than another. Verses 5 through 8 present us with a parable uh, that might seem odd in our culture. You know, guests arriving at midnight, not having bread, so going to go to another friend for bread who doesn't want bothered because all the children are in bed, right? And, and it's the sense of, you know, they're all sleeping in the same room, right? So if I get up, it's going to disrupt everybody else. Now, if you're traveling a long distance by foot, a late arrival was not always unavoidable, right? So what might seem odd in our culture uh, may not have been so odd in their culture. And the expectation in their culture was to provide a welcome and hospitality whenever the guest arrived. And Leefield comments, and I quote, rather than insult his guest with too little bread or with a broken loaf, if it was the large variety in that area, the host would seek out a person with a good supply, knowing who in his small town had recently done some baking. The visitor would have been the guest, not only of the individual and his family, but the whole community. This placed a great responsibility both on the traveler's host and on the friend he approached at midnight, end quote. Right? Hospitality was very prized in this culture, and the idea was not only the friend that he's visiting, but also the community is to extend hospitality. And it comes down to verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up, this being the person that's in bed with the, the kids, right? He will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs because of his impudence or persistence, right? Now, the Greek, uh, kind of like daily, it's a rare word, word uh, which uh, if you follow its history, it also has the idea of shamelessness and boldness. And honestly, there's two different interpretations that uh, uh, scholars have given to it. One is that it applies to the friend who's coming to the other friend at midnight to say, hey, I need more bread because I don't have anything for this guy that just came to visit. Right? And so the understanding that most of us have with the parable is this idea of shameless persistence. You know, it's persistence in prayer, uh, and we'll get answers, right? So that's, that's how most commonly we've probably heard the parable, and it's how the translators have kind of taken it with the translation of impudence or, or persistence or boldness. However, as you think about the, uh, the term, uh, some have suggested that it applies to the sleeping man. Because the term could also be translated as avoidance of shame, right? There's this idea of boldness, but also shamelessness. Uh, so it could be translated avoidance of shame, and thus it highlights the honor of the sleeping man. In which case, Leifold points out, the parable would thus mean that just as the man in bed would respond, so as not to incur shame 
for having refused the needs of a visitor to his community. So God will always do what is honorable and consistent with his character. Now, you might ask the question, so which one is it? And I'm going to say, I don't know. I'm going to say, both interpretations are possible from the text and from the language. And what I'll also say is both interpretations would fit with Scripture otherwise. Other Scripture that does call us to be persistent in prayer, such as the widow before the judge, and other Scripture that says that God is going to respond in a way that honors His character. Right? So both are in alignment with Scripture, whether or not we derive it from this particular passage. Either way, what we see is that Jesus teaches the priority of prayer, and then he follows that by encouragement to pray, whether through persistence or because of the honor of the Father or both. Maybe the ambiguity is there to give us both directions, right? Which is then reiterated through anticipating God's generosity. That's where verses 9 through 13, which also get the idea of persistence in these verses, right? So it says to ask and to seek and to knock, and the tenses of the, mean, uh, of the words mean to keep asking and to keep seeking and to keep knocking. But what we have is not a blanket promise with God handing us a blank check. It is a promise that God responds to our spiritual good as we seek him, culminating in the gift of the Holy Spirit himself, right? So we see through the, the parable, uh, he won't give us what will harm us, but that which will help us. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think we've ever asked for God for something in prayer that we thought was best but ultimately might harm us? You think God sometimes tells us no because it's in our best interest that he does so? Because he knows better than we do. I remember one of the things uh, when I was teaching Dave Ramsey classes, one of the things that Dave Ramsey said is, uh, you know, one of the worst things you can do is, is give a kid an inheritance before you've given him the character to handle it. Right? Because the inheritance will ruin him. Could it be that maybe God knows some of these things better than we do? He gives us what will help, not what will harm. And ways that God sees best might differ from ways that we think best. And Stein writes, and I quote, uh, When one wonders if it is really worthwhile to pray, when it seems the prayer goes unanswered, when the believer walks through the valley of the shadow and heaven seems deaf, because I think we've all been there too, haven't we? It says, The believer nonetheless persists in prayer due to the character and the promises of the one they call Abba Father. Sometimes we're in a place where we are called upon to trust his heart when we can't see his hand, aren't we? I was sharing, I've been reading through the, the Bible uh, uh, chronologically and um, uh, along with a little uh, book to go along with it and just this morning before church, I was reading, and I was at the place where they're walking around Jericho, and I just thought it was very insightful what she said, you know, because as they go around Jericho, if you remember the account in Joshua, they come and they're called to march around the city for six days, right? Then on the seventh day, they're to march around the city seven days, and, and you may or may not be aware, but they were to be quiet. They weren't to make their voices heard. They blew the trumpets, but they weren't to make their voices heard until the seventh time around the city on the seventh day when they shouted along with the trumpets and the walls came tumbling down, right? And the observation that uh, she made in the little devotional that goes along with the reading was, uh, you know, sometimes we feel like we're walking around in circles, that we're not heading anywhere, right? Nothing's happening. But God could be working through our obedience in ways that we haven't seen yet. 
I thought, that's really good. And the same is true as we think about prayer, right? As we come faithfully, we may not be seeing the answers yet, but that doesn't mean God's not working in ways that we don't see yet. Just because we don't know what God is doing doesn't mean that God isn't working in ways that we don't know. And the priority of prayer nurtures this relationship that we have with the Father, even as our priorities in prayer are seeking to give Him honor, glory, and, and praise, as we acknowledge our dependence on Him and as we say, we trust in your provision for us, whatever that provision may be, and understanding that sometimes it might be different than the provision that we, that we seek. Amen. And your bulletins, you have a, a communication card, and we invite you to think about how God might be speaking to your heart this morning. And then we encourage you to uh, throw that in the offering baskets as, as part of your worship. As we think about worship as not only the songs that we sing, but also uh, our life as an act of worship and, and what we do from the day to day. You know, as we uh, prepare ourselves for communion and stewardship, you know, there are, are country clubs that you can't get into if you're not a member, right? Uh, there are gated communities that uh, we don't have admittance to. But, you know, uh, but I do have access to Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, because through the atoning work of Jesus and his life, his death, and his resurrection, you know what I call the Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth? I call him Father. Don't limit what Jesus did for you to when I die, I go to heaven. But realize the gift of being reconciled and restored to a relationship with the Father that you can enjoy each day as you walk with, honor, and seek Him and as you depend on Him for whatever the day brings your way. Because we know that the one who would not withhold His own Son from us but give Him for us to meet us at our point of deepest needs we can now trust that he'll also provide for our other needs along the way. So as we come to this table, know that he's provided for your deepest needs. And as you seek to honor and make his name known uh, and uh, through his reign in your life, through stewardship and through next steps, trust that he will provide for you along the way. So let me remind you that on the night to which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, uh, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. O oh, gracious and loving Father, as we come to this table, we do recognize that first and foremost our our concern and our priority should be upon you and upon your will and your kingdom and all that you would see to do, for we know that you are right and just uh, and that you know what indeed is best. But as we come to this table, we realize that you also have concern for, for us. and You have provided for us at our point of deepest need that we might be restored to you. So as we come, Lord, help us to, to focus first on your priorities because we trust that as we do so, that you also have us in mind as we come in Jesus' name. Amen. We invite you to uh, come and remember what Jesus has done for you 
and the relationship that he's made possible through his life, death, and resurrection. as I used to. <laughs> um, it is because he is our almighty God, our fortress, our savior, our hope, that we can confidently approach the throne in prayer. 
He is all these things to us. Would you please stand as we close with Christ, our hope in life and death.
If you're able to stay, we'd love for you to stay and enjoy some uh, lunch and uh, for the congregational meeting. If you're not able to stay, then I will uh, go to the door for whoever's unable while somebody will go over and pull everything. There's a, there's a bag with gluten-free sandwiches and then the box with the regulars and some chips and brownies uh, over by the cupboards as well that we'll pull out and, and fruit and veggies as well. So. Uh, Paul Williams said, and I quote, Rather than let the world interrupt our time of prayer, how about interrupting the world with prayer? Uh, that's an interesting thought. Go forth to spend time with your Father. Honor Him and invite Him to reign in you and through you, that His will may, that his will may be done and His work accomplished through you, that His kingdom may come to the world around you. Go in His name and with His power and in His presence. Amen.